Hey, this is Justin Berg with BearcatJournal.com. Just had a conversation with Rick Broering of MusketeerReport.com. And I've just been wondering all these years, how does Xavier keep doing this? How do they keep winning these games? How do they keep making runs in the tournament? How have they built their program to the level it is now? Just how have they done all this stuff? I have my theories and I threw him Rick's way, and I wanted to see what he had to say because he's been covering the program for a while, Xavier's program. And so we just had a long conversation about where the programs were in the 90s and into the 2000s and where they are today leading up to this shootout and that both teams are at almost the highest level that they've been at the same time in any shootout we've had in a long time. So we just had a long conversation, and here it is. As we're coming up on the uh, Crosstown shootout this year, right, so – Xavier is at a level, one of the highest levels they've ever been in their program's history. Would you say that it is the highest level that they've been at in the last few years here? I think it is. I'm, I think Chris Mack has gotten to a point where you can definitively say Xavier's at its peak. It's as good as it's ever been. Like I think before this point, there were still some arguments to be made that, well, Thad Mata really had a great run, even though it was kind of brief. And Sean Miller obviously made that Elite Eight and had Xavier at such a high level for a sustained period, even though it was in the A-10. Now it's just like Chris Mack has proven he's done all the same things. He has more wins than those guys. Uh, he's been just as, as successful in terms of what he's – now, is he finishing at the top of the conference every year? No, not in the Big East. He's not. Um, but he's been just as, as successful in terms of getting seeding in the tournament. Um, he, he had the two seed a few years back, which put Xavier in a great position, even yeah. though – they weren't able to do anything with it. Um, and then last year, they don't get the great seed, but he makes the Elite Eight and finally reaches that same pinnacle that the other two coaches had reached. Right. So I think, yeah, it is. I mean, and he's recruiting at the highest level of the programs that yeah. recruited as well. Now, another part of that, well, obviously... This year, notwithstanding, okay. obviously, on the recruiting before I get attacked. Okay. Well, <clears throat> as we know, the Big East is not going to hurt you as far as recruiting is going to go. And... Um, and so I, I think that they have access to some more players, and that's always going to help. I know that helped Cincinnati when they got into the Big East as well. But um, I'm talking about overall, where Xavier is. Now, it, they've been good. When I was a kid, let's see, so I started watching around 1989, 1990 when Huggins got to Cincinnati, and I distinctly remember – Xavier knocking out the Twin Towers in the NCAA tournament uh, that came in with Tombo and Alonzo Mourning. That was 1990. So you look at from then, and even here's another thing. If you go back one year before that, I heard Steve Fisher, Michigan's old coach who won the national championship, he just inherited the team in 1989. And what he said was, we almost lost to Xavier in the first round that year. If I lose to Xavier, I don't get that job. So right there you can see Xavier is the, one of the toughest outs you'll ever see in the NCAA tournament that I've ever seen. Okay, so, so I want to know why that is. And there's a lot of things that have to go into that. But you go back to, to 89-90 and the, the Sweet 16 that they get to in 1990. Then UC comes out of nowhere. They, they were nothing in the 80s. And they go to the Final Four in 92. They're a bucket or two away from the Final Four the following year. Um, they, then they get Danny Forts and they go to the Elite Eight in 96. So in a five-year period, UC goes from no one cares about them to great. I mean, they're in the top 10. They had a few more years in the top 10 after that. 
the 99-2000 team was, an, was a super team. I mean, that was like one, one of the college super teams at that point. Um, obviously, we know what happened. We're not getting into that because that was the worst day of my entire life uh, when Kenyon Martin broke his leg. But so from that, that perspective there, and you add in a couple years later, uh, Logan's team gets a number one seed. And don't get me started on the UCLA game. I, I'm biased because I am a huge UC fan, but like <laughs> that game was just full of ridiculousness that, that UCLA won that game. And so I think UC at least gets the Elite Eight that year. Um, but after that, Huggins has a couple of subpar years. They get knocked out early. Uh, and then he gets forced out. The thing gets blown up. So now UC's like back to square one in what, 05, 06. Yeah. Meanwhile, Xavier in the 90s, Pete Gillen, Skip Prosser keeps the train running. They're, they're still good. What was it, in the MCC at that point? Is that where, where Xavier was? Yeah, and then in the A-10. Yeah. What year, do you remember what year they got into the A-10? Yeah, I'm not sure, but I think it was like late 90s maybe. But Yeah, I want to say like 98, 96, Okay, okay. Like so they, they move up um, to, a, to a better conference, and, and they you know, quickly become a factor in the A-10. And, um, they still, I think, I think at that point, the crosstown shootout was usually, uh, I think, you know, Zay, or UC dominated it with Van Exel and then Fortson had a big game. And then, then we come to, to 97. Well, actually it was the end of 96 and UC's number one in the country and it's at UC Xavier wins the game, shocks them. Um, then a few years later, even with the super team, they go UC goes to Xavier and loses as number one. So what I'm thinking is in that period there where, where Xavier knocks off number one Cincinnati twice, there must have been a, to, a, a, a point where the administration said, you know what, let's, let's put everything into this because I think we can make this into something great because we've shown that we can beat the best. And... Um, you know, let's just put all our eggs into this and see where we can take it. And whatever they decided, I don't know if it was, if, if there was something specific like a strategy or a plan that they put in place or, or what the case was, but they took it to another level. Um, and I think we were talking about this before we started recording, but, um, you know, Xavier goes ahead and, and knocks off number one St. Joe's. And I think it was Oh one. Um, killed them by the way and and gets into the tournament when they shouldn't have got in so just like they they want xavier wins so many games against either high major opponents high ranked teams like i said the number one um and then as we've seen from that point from like 2001 or so till now that they get past the first weekend almost every time especially if they're an underdog seed and um like, like last year as an 11, they get all the way to the Elite Eight. And there's just got to be something that they're doing, um, some sort of formula. And, and so I, I wanted to try to pick your brain, Rick, as far as like what that is. And I have some theories. Um, if you want me to keep rolling, yeah. I can. Yeah, let's hear them. So, so I think that, that one of the most, uh, I don't know if it's overlooked or underrated or whatever the case is, um, aspects of basketball is the ability to get fouled. <clears throat> I, um, I spoke with uh, Chuck Mayshock, who is a longtime 
color commentator for Bearcat Radio on 700 WLW last week, and and I asked him about it. I said, I said, is it is it tough to teach somebody how to get fat? He said, oh yeah. And I've heard other coaches say that before as well. Um, you know, because you watch the game and say, just dribble in there and get fouled. Stop shooting these jump shots. Um, so whatever uh, my theory is that Xavier understood that getting to the foul line was like an undervalued skill, kind of like a, like a money ball type of scenario way back when. And most of their guards and wing players that they've had over the years had the ability to do that. So what that does is when it's late in a game and you're either trying to hold a lead, stay in the game, or create some separation, if you're getting to the foul line, you're going to have a much better chance of scoring consistently. Um, And to contrast that, the other part of the theory is that on defense, Xavier does not gamble. I've never seen them gamble. They, I've never seen them press. I don't see them jump passing lanes. Um, I don't see them do a whole lot of crazy stuff, switching things, paying a, a lot of attention to one specific player. It seems to me like Xavier says, you know what? Make some jumpers. If you can make them, you're going to beat us. But if you're not making them, we're, we're already in rebounding position, so you ain't getting second chances. So what that adds up to is in a close game down the stretch – the other team is shooting jumpers and not getting second chances, whereas Xavier is getting to the foul line consistently, and they're putting points on the board, whereas the other team may go three, four, five possessions without scoring. And I think that's um, particularly important for Xavier, and it has been in the Crosstown shootout, because Cincinnati has not, on the other side of it, had um, a lot of players that could draw fouls. And they also haven't had a lot of good shooting teams of late. And so I think that's why Xavier's dominated in the Crosstown shootout in the last like 10 or 15 years. So my question for you is, um, do you see that as well? And then do you feel like that is something that they focus on in recruiting is that they try to find specifically players who can drive and draw fouls? So a couple things. First of all, with the defensive stuff. I mean, I know if you go back to like Skip Prosser, he did press a lot and tried to get like he he felt that you know you wouldn't get super skilled guys, big time scorers to come to Xavier at that time and in the A10 still felt it was more of a mid major situation, and so he would go get the most athletic guys he could find and press you for 40 minutes and try to play up tempo and make it a little more ugly. Um, but really, in the more modern era, you're absolutely 100% right on the not risking not gambling uh, on on the defensive end because they've been a pack line team now for a long time. Yeah. Basically, the principles of the pack line defense are you never get out in passing lanes. You never get out of position and gamble for a steal. You don't want steals. Um, it's you're in the gap and forcing, like you said, tough jump shots and being in position to rebound. So that's 100% a part of their strategy, and that has been, you know, for a few coaches now. It, they've they've stuck with that pack line defense for the most part. We've seen Chris Maxtray a little bit from it going with, like, his 1-3-1 zone and yeah. doing some other things in the last few years to, to fit his personnel. But, yeah, for the most part, they've stuck to that pack line man-to-man defense. So that's definitely a thing that's accurate and, and certainly part of, what Xavier's been trying to do for a while. The getting to the free throw line thing is an interesting point. Um, and it's not like, it's not something I've heard brought up specifically of, yeah, we look for this type of guy at the same time. Like, I think that is a quality. A lot of good players have in general. I don't think it's just specific to Xavier. Um, Hmm. So I think 
they've had some really good players. And some of those guys, like, I guess it's one of those skills that if you're not a five-star talent and you can't just blow by guys with athleticism or you can't be a seven-foot post player with, you know, back-to-the-basket game like crazy, you don't have those just dominant skill sets. I think being able to get fouled is a thing that, like, a guy like Two Holloway, who was yeah. undersized and not explosive enough to get by you all the time, he was great at throwing his head back and drawing contact and really selling contact. And in some ways, I think it's like an equalizer for guys that maybe aren't quite the best talent, but are really good players. And, and they, they look for high IQ guys. And I think it's it's a trait of high IQ guys to know how to get fouled and, and draw contact. So I think what you're saying is probably accurate. I've just never heard it broken down in that manner and that specific. But okay. like when you start thinking about it, I think it does make sense. Yeah. And that I think that's what you that, that's the common th- theme uh, a lot of times when I watch Xavier win a game that I don't think that maybe they were supposed to win or whatever the case is, is, is those two areas. Like, they they drive the ball more. When they need a bucket, they don't just come down and just shoot a jumper. And I think other teams do that. And a lot of times Xavier will just force the issue. So they almost force the ref to make a call a lot of times when there maybe isn't a call there. For, for instance... Um, back to an old crosstown shootout game so the the infamous lance stevenson game at at the Centos center uc really had that game won i believe it was a five-point lead with under two minutes to go and and i haven't gone back and watched it but my memory says that there was a three-point play for xavier at some point where there was no foul no one touched him it maybe looked like they did but no one did and then there was a call on Yancey Gates on a very, very minor. It was like a, it was maybe like a ball screen or something or whatever the case was, where he, it didn't affect the play, and it was a very minor thing. Um, but Xavier went ahead and made both free throws, and they, and it was because that they forced the issue. Game goes the overtime. Um, I think double overtime, and Xavier wins a game, uh, obviously. Uh, but. I, th- I think that I've just seen a lot of that where they, they hang in a game or, you know, like I said, when they need a bucket, somebody will get into the paint. And because really they haven't, they've had some good three point shooters over the years, but I feel like they've had better penetrators and contact uh, seekers than shooters. Is that, is that wrong or? I mean, I think they've had a good balance. Okay. When yeah. Had their best teams. Right. They've had I mean, good balance. When you think about, you know, like the, some of the other teams that did good things in the NCAA tournament and stuff, you still had like a BJ Raymond who could really shoot on the perimeter. Um, and and with you know last year's team, obviously you have Trayvon and, and JP who can both really shoot. Um, and Kaiser Gates is a shooter. So like, I think they when they're at their best, obviously like any team they have a good balance. Yeah. But you're not wrong to think back to like you know the Zip 'Em Up crew and that team was a bunch of penetrators. Now yeah. Jordan Crawford. That year before, um, in the shootout you're talking about, that went to double overtime, that was the Lance Stevenson-Jordan Crawford game. Yeah. And Jordan Crawford could really shoot. Right. It wasn't always the highest percentage because he'd take a lot of tough shots. Yeah. But he could really shoot. So they've had guys that can stretch the floor and shoot. And I think that's a necessity to having good offense is having at least someone that can stretch the floor and make the defense respect you and, and bring them out a little bit. Um, but, yeah, the getting to the rim – getting fouled and then it's been in different ways though too like i would say under sean miller and early in chris max tenure it was more like high ball screen find a guard who can penetrate and draw contact 
and that's what they go to in late game scenarios. And now Chris Mack is, in my opinion, one of the best in the country in terms of set plays on the offensive end. And you see Xavier run a ton of just set plays and get wide open looks. I mean, you think back to the Arizona game and the way they beat Arizona last year, they ran that set play to get uh, Sean O'Mara a wide open look. And it's like, people are like, how does Sean O'Mara end up being the hero in that game? And it's like, I mean, Chris Mack got him a wide open layup more or less. And, and that's how, and then just, you know, the other night in the Wisconsin game, when it was, it was kind of at that tipping point where I think Xavier was up by like two or three, they run a set play for Trayvon that was beautiful. He gets a wide open look and rims in another three, and now it's a two possession game. And Xavier cruises from yeah. that point. So. Yeah, he hit back to back, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, but you're right. I mean, I think that's part of it too. Uh, just real quick to just to touch, on, I, I got some numbers on the free throw rates here, and and this is a comparison with 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 UC a little bit too. So, um, I've got I've got uh, Sean Miller. So this is free throw rate rank in the country, and so if you look at Thad Mata, Sean Miller, and Chris Mack. So that's 0-2 to present. Uh, I only have three seasons where they were outside the top 100 in free throw rate in the country. Um, if you look at the Bearcats from when Mick Cronin started until now, uh, they only have, let's see, three seasons inside the top 200 in free throw rate. So I think that that is a huge difference right there and i think that that comes out in the the shootouts and i don't know if i haven't looked at each game to see but i feel like overall that that is a factor and that's that's what i pinpointed um now bringing it all around though is that that i think now that um mick is getting some players that can get to the foul line jaron cumberland last year he showed that he can take over a game um You've got Kane Broom, who he, he likes to see contact. They, the point guard they signed for next year is a, is a downhill player. Um, so they, they're starting to move in that direction. And I'm always somebody who looks at three-point attempts and free-throw attempts, and I want more free-throw attempts than three-point attempts. I just think that, that that's going to be your better bet. You know, it's a low percentage shooting threes versus getting to the foul line. You should have a better chance of scoring points consistently. Um, but so when you look at – you look at what Cincinnati was able to do to Xavier last year. Um, it, it came down to the offensive glass, which is something that Xavier really doesn't give up, right? I mean, that's that's, that's it's never been an issue. That's on a part Christmas right. Team. Like and, that was stunning to watch yeah. them lose a game because of that. Quite honestly, yeah. And that and that is that is one of the reasons why I think Xavier has been successful against Cincinnati is because Cincinnati has always relied heavily on getting those second chance points and outplaying you because um, they don't they haven't had the best shooting team so Xavier uh, you know usually is able to keep them off the glass whereas last year I think Cincinnati just really really wanted that game and they just would not be denied I, I, you saw every time a shot went up you saw two Bearcats just sprinting to the offensive glass and Xavier just didn't they couldn't get to all of them and so um, but but I think when we're heading into this year's game, now Xavier is at that level now. I feel like, and, and I, for you business people out there, so if you've ever heard of a, have you ever heard of a book by Jim Collins called Good to Great? I'm okay, not. I've got the book with me here. So um, it's it, it. What it does is he compares. There's eleven different cases where he compares two companies that are about at the same point in, in time, and one takes off and becomes great, and the other one either stays the same or maybe falls out of the running. For instance, like Kroger 
was up against this company called A&P a long time ago. That was like the main grocery store and Kroger just whooped them. And so he looks at like the common traits and characteristics and stuff like that. And so it, it got me thinking about like, how did Xavier go from being, Xavier was always a good program, right? Like, like I said, going back to the late eighties, I mean, they were good year after year. They were tough to beat. They get they got to a lot of tournaments. They they pull a few upsets here and there, but they weren't a team that was like always ranked. Um, they weren't getting you know great talent. They weren't in a, a big time conference. But you know some things broke their way, and some things I think they probably did on their own. But now they are great. Like they are a great program. They get top recruits. They get kids that are going to the NBA. Um, they they get ranked in the top fifteen every year now. It's like even to start the season, even if they lose players, it seems like it's every year they're right there. Um, and then the fan experience at that at the Cintas Center, by the way. I, <clears throat> so two years ago um, was my first year getting press passes. And, uh, you know, Chad Brando at, at Bearcat Journal, he signed me up for a press pass to go to the Xavier game. I didn't want to go because – as a as a huge Bearcat fan, it's like going into the Lions Den, or just like I, I just didn't want to go over there. Um, and I wasn't going to go. I really wasn't going to go. And the year before, I didn't even watch the game. It was the one where uh, Xavier won at UC, I think, by two. And I'm glad I didn't watch it because it just got to the point where I it was just killing me to sit there and watch these games. So at the last minute, I decided, all right, I'll go to the game at the Cintas Center two years ago. Even though Xavier was playing so well then, I, I wasn't sure if UC had a chance. But I walked in there, I started looking around, and, dude, I got sick to my stomach because looking at where they played and then thinking about what Fifth Third Arena was at that point, I was like, dude, how is this possible? I mean, this is like night and day is like an understatement for that, man. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I mean, yeah. no one had really... I heard it was a nice atmosphere, you know, and I just don't, I guess I don't have a lot of Xavier fan friends. Um, but it was it was really hard to stomach that, that that's where they play all their games. I mean, it, it was a big-time atmosphere, like almost an NBA type of an atmosphere there or feel to it. Um, so I think, like, that's part of going from good to great is, like, you eventually get to you, – you look where you were at that point in the, nine, in the early 90s, mid-90s, you know, and to now, and they are perennially top 15. Um, the recruiting class for this year was, I don't know where it was ranked, and I know rankings are kind of hit and miss, but I think it was three top 100 kids or two. Oh, you're talking about 2017 yeah. recruiting class? Yeah, it, um, it ended up eighth in the country by, okay. by scout, okay. uh, which is the only rankings I really knew at the time, okay. so I'm not sure. So, yeah. yeah, so I mean, they're, they're obviously in on kids – they're getting they're getting multiple four star kids over the last few years, um, and and they're I mean and, and obviously making that run last year. Getting the team two years ago was was really tough. I, I, yeah, I was I was surprised that they lost to Wisconsin in that one. Um, at, was that the first buzzer beater ever against Xavier? Like <laughs> like now it's like twenty for use against UC and one against Xavier that I can think of. Yeah, yeah, I think that probably just sticks out as a UC fan. I'm sure if you ask the Xavier fans, there's several more they can bring up of games they've lost on Heartbreakers, but that one certainly has to be the worst that I can recall. Yeah, that was that that team was so good. They had beaten number one Villanova a few weeks earlier. Yeah, at home. like they had momentum. 
going yeah. into the postseason to a certain extent. And then even in the Big East tournament, they didn't play all that well. And then the NCAA tournament, they just, for whatever reason, I mean, they were a team kind of built on their ball movement and shooting. And they just weren't hitting shots at that point. So yeah. to your point, maybe they should have got fouled a little more. That would have been in better shape. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I think, uh, well, at least now both teams have had their seasons ended on a buzzer beater in the tournament because UC had that one against West Virginia. Um, and I think 97, 98, but, but, um, yeah, so, so I think like, you know, Xavier's at that level now, now this is not to say that, you know, Cincinnati has, Mick Cronin has done, I, I think, I think there's a lot of people in the fan base that, that think he should have done more by now. And I don't know how you feel about it, Rick, but, but I mean, when you come in and you're starting from square one, he's a young coach, so he's never had a, really any kind of significant head coaching job. So you're on the recruiting trail and you know, what can you sell? Nobody knows who you are. Um, you know, you see, you know, you had the Cincinnati brand name, but it was, it was a few years removed from being anything major. Um, he had the big East to sell, but with that came like being in the big East with nothing. So he was like, I'm grabbing whoever I can grab. Um, the first year. And I think that something that's goes underrated, you know, when you talk about like, can Mick Cronin coach what, you know, whatever the case is, dude, his second year with that team, he was eight and five at one point in the big, in that big East, which was like, you know, impossible. Yeah. So, um, you know, he, he starts getting some better players and they have the sweet 16 run in 2012 but of course, as a UC fan, you're like, God, Xavier still got there too, though. It's like, dude, we can't even like enjoy one year of doing something better than Xavier. So it's, Xavier just won't go away. But back to Cincinnati. So, so you know, in, the, in that conference, it was like, get tough guys that can get stops because we're not getting the five star kids. So you got the only way you're winning games is to somehow take the other team out of what they want to do. And he is a master at that. Um, obviously, he learned from Huggins and Patino and and his dad. And so somehow he found a way to, to exist in the Big East and make the NCAA tournament back-to-back-to-back years. Like, there's plenty of coaches when he took that job that are gone, that didn't last two, three years, that had what you would say maybe better jobs, St. John's, whatever the case is. And, and, um, and you know, he, he stood the test. Then you go into the, uh, the American, and it, it's not – no one's fault, it's just – the bomb dropped and you know, as pretty much the worst nightmare for a UC fan is now Xavier's in the big East and UC's out and we're in this, what is this? The American, what the hell is this? Yeah. And Chad and I have talked about that. That's, that was the biggest loss for those teams was that they lost the big East brand name and went to something that just not only did it have no brand, but the branding they tried to start was just terrible. Oof. Like the American was a bad name. The yeah. logo is bad. Like everything about the conference is bad in terms of it being marketed. Yeah. So yeah. So it, so it, it just, again, you're, you're almost back to square one in a way. I mean, you have the, you have the, you know, the, the, the ter- consecutive tournament appearances to, to fall back on. You've got, you've got a, a you know, a decent brand name in Cincinnati, but you're in a conference that these recruits have never heard of. So now what do you do? And, um, you know, he had Sean Kilpatrick still, and they go ahead and, and they, they dominate the league that year. Um, and really, you know, go to, go to Louisville and win. I mean, they had, they had a, 
you know, a hell of a regular season. They, they get a number five seed, which is the best that, that Cronin has gotten, and um, go out and lose to Harvard. And when you looked at the statistics heading into that game, at least for me, um, I was nervous because Cincinnati was outside the top 100 in offensive efficiency. I mean, not too many teams are going to be able to do anything if you can't score in a, in a, in a one-game scenario, you know, winner-take-all, everything's neutral. Both teams had to travel across the country. Not, not, that, not that Harvard was incredible offensively, but it was just like they're better and they probably can get, you know, get some buckets even against a tough UCD. UC didn't have enough scoring, and they lost because they only had like one option, maybe one and a half if you count Justin Jackson. So I think you know, Mick's smart. He knows. So he started to say, all right, let's start getting some offensive players. We're not in the Big East anymore. We'll coach him up on defense. And it's taken a few years. Like the year after that, um, I believe it was Copain's second year. Um, they were they were like two hundred and thirtieth in assist to turnover ratio. And then the following season, they were like thirtieth. So he he flipped that. The passing has gotten better. He's starting to incorporate Gary Clark. And then you get a, you get a Jacob Evans. You get Kyle Washington to transfer. You're getting some offensive guys. Um, some of them have picked up the defense faster than others, but. For the most part, overall, you could look at this this year's Cincinnati team versus three or four years ago, and it's night and day offensively, right? So um, the defense maybe isn't as tough and hard nosed and nails as it was, but it's still they still can stop teams if they have to. So yeah, at the, uh, at the end of the day, it's like we were talking about the rebounding thing with Chris Mack. UC is never going to lose because their defense isn't good enough. Right. I mean that's just a fact. Yeah. Under McCrone, yeah. That won't change. Right. So. So anyway, so you know, so now you're you're looking at that at, at what they have now, where they they finished in the top forty in offense. Ken Palm last year, definitely the best finish in the last 12, 15 years, um, or the last twelve years under under Mick. And uh, so, you know, Xavier is at their height. You know, they've got they got an elite eight team from last year, um, most of it back. Uh, and I mean, obviously, you lose. Um, What's the point guard's name? Sumner, but he didn't even play on the team anyway in the in the in the tournament. They had a couple. They had what? They Malcolm, had, Bernard, Malcolm Bernard, Bernard and Ga- yeah. senior, and then Rashid Gaston, Gaston, who was a grad senior. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean those guys played roles during the season, and Malcolm really played well in the NCAA tournament to his credit, like doing small stuff. But yeah. it's n- not something that can't be replaced by a Najee Marshall and a Paul Scruggs, who are two high level recruits. Yeah, so. and and I think you've got. Um, you, you know, good and got that experience, and yeah. uh, and obviously Jones too. So and Tyreek Jones yeah. has improved so much that it more than makes up for the loss of Gaston. Yeah. So you've got a you've got a team that had a deep run and has pretty much everybody back. You know, if you add it all up, and, and you maybe even have a little more talent than last season. Meanwhile, Cincinnati has pretty much their whole team back, minus their three lowest percentage shooters. Those are those are gone, and you add in. Some pretty talented freshmen, I think, that are that were underrated. Um, you've got that core with with Clark and Evans, Washington, um, Cumberland is is obviously as we saw last year in the crosstown is like, you know, he's he's the man. I mean, he's not afraid. He can score. He he's he's an underrated defender. He led the team in steal percentage last year as a freshman. Um, everyone said he wasn't quick enough, but I mean, he's smart enough and he has instinct, so he can play on both ends. So. Um, I think, you know, and obviously, you know, the, the most of the writers out there and the coaches have, have thought that, you know, 
UC's got a top 15 team this year, and, and as does Xavier. So now, looking back over the Crosstown shootout, there's been a lot of years where one team was ahead of the other team, ranked higher, stronger roster. Um, there's been a couple of years where both teams were down um, and unranked, or whatever the case is. But, like, really, I can't think of a season where, like, this is probably the best, the most talented team that Cincinnati's had in a while, and Xavier's at their peak. So you have like, you know, almost like the city of Cincinnati is just has these two, you know, I guess giants that are fighting for the supremacy of the city. Xavier probably would, you have to give them the edge since they just went through the lead eight and they've had a bunch of deep runs lately, but like, and I feel like Cincinnati's trying to get there, and they're almost on the cusp of getting to great because they have the arena now being renovated, and they have that talent now on the offensive side. And um, you know, even the recruit they signed for next year is a, a big time get. And so I feel like Xavier's established it, and it and I can see what they did to get there. And Cincinnati had to start from square one in 0607 and it's it's been a rocky ride. But I feel like. They're almost there, but they still have to prove that they are great, and it, it may take a deep run or beating Xavier back-to-back, -back, which hasn't happened in 20 years or whatever the case is, to actually get to that same level. But I feel like they're both as either there or as close to being there as we've seen in a game in a long time. Yeah, I can't – it's interesting because I can't think – you're right. There's been years where there's maybe not a clear favorite, but it's because neither team is that great. Yeah. I can't think of a year where – you felt like both teams were really good, like top 15 good or even top 25 good maybe, but both teams were like on the same level, but they were both really good. Yeah. Um, and this game is just such a toss-up because it being at Xavier, Xavier having a loss last year, and Xavier having like Trayvon and JP type guys who are the way they are and the way they th take things personally and it being their senior year. And again, if had Xavier won last year's game, I'd probably feel totally different about this year's game. But the fact that they lost last year and they get it at home with those guys as seniors who are two of the best players that have come through in the last, you know, however many years, probably since Jordan Crawford, really, um, it, it, it makes me think Xavier will win that game. But it's really more just because of the intangible stuff that goes into it and how I think about those guys more so than it is, like, breaking it down who's the better team and what their skill sets are and stuff like that. Because when you get into that this year, it's tough to find much separation at all between these two teams. They're both really good. Yeah. And that, and that's, that, I, it's hard to argue with you on that because, uh, JP and Trayvon seem to be those guys that just, I mean, they don't care and they just, they're going to do what they need to do. And they li they live for these types of yeah. things. Like you can say sometimes it's cliche and, Oh, players like all games and whatever. Yeah. But for these two guys, it's real. Like, they really do. They can talk themselves into this is a big one. You know what I mean? That, like, just look at JP at Wisconsin. You know what I mean? Like, that whole thing, people can say that's put on or whatever. It's That's JP. That is, like, he genuinely has a thing going with Wisconsin's fan base at that point. You yeah. know, like, in his mind, that's really how he feels. And it fuels him. He's got that kind of Chad Johnson gene where he, he likes that stuff. And it does get him going. So, I think the shootout for those two guys is just such a big one and it'll get them going. And it, it being at home, I, 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 it's hard for me to see them losing back to back years. Do you see, especially with the second one being at home? But if we're just talking about like talent and who's the better team, man, it's, yeah. it's really difficult. Yeah. Cause there's advantages on and disadvantage, or I guess not advantages, but um, uh, 
you know, you've got you've got certain positions where you could say UC has the edge or, or Xavier has the edge on, on other positions. And but yeah, I, the intangible side would give Xavier the edge. And what I what I'm interested to see is some of UC's more inexperienced players that uh, haven't played roles in this type of game. I, we've we've talked about this in the past in the Crosstown Shootout. It's always you know can a guy who's never played in it or hasn't had a, any responsibility in it. And unfortunately for Cincinnati, it's their two point guards. You know, Justin Jennifer hasn't really seen many minutes at all in the Crosstown Shootout in his first two seasons. Kane Broom just got here, and. Um, and we don't know how they're going to respond. And unfortunately, those are pretty important positions. You know, the the point guard position is is key, and um, and that's where you know Xavier's had an edge, I think, in in quite a few crosstown shootouts at that position. And I think that's and I think that's helped them in the NCAA tournament too, is they've had consistent point guard play for years and years and years and years. And we're talking point guards that can score, point guards that know how to run a team. Um, they they they're just effective, and I feel like. Uh, that is a big factor. So, why if, why has that? Why has Mick struggled to find good point guards? Do you think? Well, and it actually, I think it goes back to Huggins too. Well, Huggins he would take net, guys that weren't point guards and yeah. force them into. Yeah, that was basically. that that was one of the most frustrating things about that regime. Um, he, you know, he had Van Exel, he had Logan, he had Satterfield. But even like as good as Steve Logan is, like I mean, he was kind of a weird point guard type of point guard, right? I mean, like he was he was a great passer and he certainly could play the position. Yeah. But he was also a dude who loved jacking shots. Yeah. But he but he was, but when you have a first team All American at the point guard position, it doesn't really matter what if he's a true point or whatever the case is. I mean, he was incredible in in you know the latter part of his career. Yeah, but, no question. But yeah, and Satterfield was he wasn't the best shooter, but he could run a team and you know he was an NBA caliber. He didn't have a great career, but and then obviously Van Exel. But um, yeah, I mean the the one year that they went to the when they went to the Elite Eight uh, in '96, Keith Legree came over from Louisville and kind of he he really he he was able to run the team. He wasn't a scorer, but he just he was a leader at that position, and so it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a scorer. But we, but there have been plenty of point guards where you're like, why, why is this guy? And I don't want to name names, but there's been guys who couldn't shoot, um, couldn't pass, couldn't dribble even. And you're like, why is that person playing point guard? I don't have the answer to you as to what's been so tough about it. It's just, it's just weird because I guess like when when I'm talking with you know people about Xavier recruiting and, and people inside the program, it's like their feeling has always been, we will always get good guards. Like we can get, there's so many guys six, three and under that are great at this point in time. You yeah. Know, that, that have played basketball since the time they're small. There's so many guys that are that size that can really, really play that will never, there'll always be good guards. The key for us is getting the, the six, seven wings, the, yeah. the big time post players. That's the guys that are tough for us to find because there's not enough of them out there. But for they've always is it they can get great goals. Yeah, I mean it must be and they pretty much have for the most. Uh, yeah, part. oh, I, that, I, that, and I've made that argument last year as I thought that uh, and and so you know Troy Copain had a huge impact last year. I thought and that was that was one of the reasons UC won. But you know, I th- although we could really just say it was the offensive rebounding and, and Cumberland. But <laughs> yeah, but I but I think that um, it. That's what I've wondered for a long time is, is how does Xavier keep finding the year after or, or class after class when they need a point guard? They're getting one that can be effective, and, and that's, that's a dual threat that can drive, shoot. Um, maybe not the best defender, but you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, I, think, I, I think it's probably because of the defensive philosophy is that, that 
for the most part, Cincinnati likes to pressure you more and they want to have more versatile defender at that, at that position. Whereas, you know, the defensive side for Xavier is just such a, like you said, pack line. It doesn't really matter how athletic you are. It doesn't really matter. It's built to hide guys that aren't the most athletic. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it's just Xavier has, they could say, well, we'll just take this guy who can shoot pass and dribble and it doesn't matter that he couldn't guard anybody because there's a guy right behind him. But at the same time, I mean, like it's, I'm trying to think of a point guard that Xavier's had that couldn't guard because, like, D. Davis's strength was his defense, even though he was on the smaller side. And yeah. he was, like, the first point guard Chris had in that first recruiting class. And, it, you know, probably, well, I guess you should say second recruiting class, but it was, like, first real recruiting class. Right. Um, then other than that, when you think about Chris's point guards, you've got two Holloway. Um, and if you want to call Mark Lyons a point guard, he usually played off the ball, but he would be in there, too. And he was he was pretty talented. You've got Samaje Kristen. You know, you've got Edmund Sumner. Um, yeah. Now you have Quentin Gooden. I mean, all of those guys, for the most part, like they may not have came in as great defenders. Edmund was so skinny, he didn't defend all that well at first. Samaje was thin, and he was a pretty good defender, and he became a great defender in his second year. Um, but Quentin Gooden's already a pretty darn good defender. I mean, he has some lapses at times from being young, but he's big and physical. So um, Chris, is, Chris has done a good job of finding both. But, but you're right. I mean, I think that the biggest thing for Mick, and this is where I get into – when you talk about the way Mix built the program, it's been built slow and steady and in a position to sustain itself. Like yeah. it's not, they weren't going to take steps back the way Mick was doing it. It wasn't as maybe volatile as kind of the way Chris has gone about things where if a guy can't play after a sophomore year, a lot of times it's like, Hey man, you're probably don't have much of a future here. Like you can stay if you want, but we gladly help you find somewhere else to go. Yeah. And Mick's always been like, we're going to see this out. Yeah. You're going to be a contributor by your senior yeah. year with guys like that. Um, and then like you said, Mick's always focused on the defensive side of things. And I think with Xavier, not, not just with Xavier, but just in general in college basketball, it's a lot easier to sell your program. If you get up and down the court a little bit, play offense and shoot threes. And that wasn't what Mick wanted to do. Obviously. I don't know if it's easier to well, win doing well, that. Well, I'll tell you this, just just to cut you off for a second, is, is that he, I think he has wanted to do that, and he and but he he won't do that in the expense at the expense of of giving up easy buckets. So, yeah, but I mean that's but that's you're, like a philosophy. You're right. right? You're, like, you're, you're right. You're if, right. If you're not willing to do that, then yeah. you're not willing to do that. You're right. Like, that's you're what right. you're saying. Yeah, and and, yeah. and I've always thought about Mick to a certain extent. He ties he makes it tougher on himself sometimes than it has to be. And like, that's the way he wants to do things, but it is harder to recruit if you run your program that way and you focus on being tough and, and hard nosed and you are a really tough coach because you practice really hard that way. And you guys don't play with a lot of freedom on offense and it is slower on offense and, and more methodic that makes it tougher to recruit. I also think when you're a team that can't score and you play games in the fifties and sixties, like UC did for a lot of years under him, you put yourself in a position where anyone can sneak up and beat you. Yeah. You know, so you are in position to lose to like the Harvards of the world, even though and that was a good Harvard team. That's not taking away from that. No. But even if you're as good or more talented than them, it in that one game scenario, if you can't score consistently, you can go on that stretch where it's six, seven, eight minutes, you kind of lose the game in the second half. Yeah. And I think that was that year's team's biggest problem. Right. And Mick's a hell of a coach. No, I mean like, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Defensively, he's one of the greatest minds, I think, in college basketball. But there are philosophical differences that I think have made UC's grind to the top a little slower than it needed to be, maybe. But it also made it more sustainable because yeah. in Xavier's case, like we saw when Des Wells got booted, 
and you had another guy or two transfer and you had back, kind of back-to-back recruiting classes where all of a sudden they're just gone because of the way kind of Xavier does things. Well, yeah. then you had a year with Samaje Kristen who's super talented and you really don't have much of a team to show for it around him and you even missed the tournament one of those years. Yeah. So you, you can slip back a little bit easier doing it the way Xavier's done it too, I think. You yeah. Know? No, you're right. I think I, the sustainable thing's key though. And and I think that uh, another part of it is is people don't maybe uh, i think people close to the program understand this but when he took over the job the image of the program was horrible i mm-hmm. mean there was guys getting arrested left and right under huggins i mean it was it was bad i mean it was you didn't want to look you, yeah. academically you guys get in well, trouble and, and, and yeah huggins had completely quit recruiting too all yeah. together i mean yeah. just quit right so i mean but i think that so he had to he had to say okay first of all i need to find somebody who can actually play then i got to find someone who can actually be tough and defend by the way these guys have to go to class and get a certain grade point average and they have to stay out of trouble and so you're you're, you're, you're like your pool of players shrinks as you keep you know and also where you are in the pecking order and the biggie all this stuff where you are as a coach you know he's a young coach no one knows who he is right so you're right as he's he's grinded he's 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 dove into the process he committed to the process and yeah, they've lost some games where you're like, if they could just make some shots, they would have won that game. Well, so you know, he learns each year. He tries. To, he's out there on the recruiting trail. The coaches are trying to find. They find these gems that no one really knew about that aren't on the radar, like a Jacob Evans. I mean, how does Jacob Evans get out of Louisiana? We don't. I mean, that, that's a. T- and Gary Clark gets out of North Carolina, and um, you know, and then he starts. Then he gets a kid like Cumberland, who I think Xavier wanted, and I know there were uh, Purdue it, was on it, him hard. It or, was so interesting with Cumberland because he just had the right before his senior year, and I know like he had kind of bounced around between AAU programs because he had gotten into some scuffles with teammates and things like that, and there was some sort of red flags around him, I guess you would say, in terms of what type of character he had and, and how good of a teammate he'd be and how focused he was because he. You know, no matter what team he was on, he'd come into a new team, the King James program after Cohen from OBC, and he'd shoot 25 times, you know? And it's like, that's a new team, and this guy didn't play a lick of defense, and he just shot the ball almost 30 times in a game with a brand new team. Like, how much does he really care about being a good teammate and good basketball player, and how much is he just out to get his? Right. And so, like, I think there was some of that going on, and there was a point where teams had kind of backed off on him, and the people around him, whether it was his parents or AAU coaches or whatever, were kind of talking to Xavier, I know, and were like, he's really interested. I think you guys can get him if you want him. And Xavier got more interested again. And I think what they just decided was he's good enough, but he's another scoring wing that can't guard anyone. And we have Trayvon Blewett and JP McKeera coming <laughs> into our program. Yeah. So, like, and now. Sharon's been better defensively than anyone expected, much better than I ever expected right. he would be. So that's not a, a rip on him at this point because he really can actually defend a little bit. Um, but at the time, he maneuvered like a tank, and nobody thought he'd be able to defend at least twos or threes. They thought maybe he'd be like an undersized four as a defender um, at the time because he was so strong. But So yeah, his recruitment was really interesting, but it was a guy that like was totally different from Mick's philosophy, I yeah. think, as a recruiter for the most part. Yeah, but, but he's also a level of kid that... that- Cincinnati hadn't been getting. I mean, he yeah. was he was, he a, was legit, a legit legit four star. Yeah, and um, and you know, as you saw last year, I mean, he he was the di- I think he was a difference in the crosstown shootout. He was the guy. He looked the best against UCLA in that game, scoring the ball at will, pretty much. Um, so 
But can, can I can I say one more thing about yeah, yeah, the differences yeah. in philosophies too? Yeah. Um, in addition to it being like the style of play, there's also been a big difference in how they approach recruiting, and I think to a certain extent there still is. And this year you saw it play out in favor of UC as opposed to Xavier. And I think mixed philosophy, especially now that they've gone to the American and he feels that they've kind of taken a hit in that regard on the recruiting trail because of the conference they're in. I think he more so looks at his assistant coaches and says, tell me who we can get, not who the best player out there is, because we're not wasting our time recruiting guys that are never going to come here. Tell me who we can get. And Chris Mack has always taken the approach. And I think the one thing that, that he was very different from Sean Miller in after he took over the program was he always felt like Xavier can get top 50 guys. We're going to swing and swing and swing and we'll miss, but we'll get some top 50 guys yeah. and they'll change our program. And you look at a guy like Trayvon Blewett, that looks great. Yeah. You get Paul Scruggs and Najee Marshall in the same class. And and that's a little bit different because Najee blew up late and yeah. Xavier got him when it was pretty much just South Carolina and Rhode Island really recruiting him. So right. he became a top 50 player after Xavier had already gotten him. But still, the the, st- the point still stands. If you get a couple of those guys, you stack them back to back, or maybe one class and then a, a class a year or two later, you get an, another one or two, you can do special things. But at the same time, you can also have the 2018 recruiting class that Xavier just had where every single one of those guys tells you no, no matter mm. how good you think you're in with them and their families and, every, and the relationships are. The other options are still... Duke and Villanova yeah. and and Syracuse and programs like that that you just don't beat on a consistent basis right. and and even look like even Ohio State's and Illinois and local Big Ten programs and stuff Xavier doesn't beat them on a regular basis like there's no reason to think they're going to consistently win those recruiting battles Xavier's had a little bit of success over the last few years with this coaching staff and now this the the expectations have been totally skewed by the fan base I think of what they're supposed to be doing yeah but in real reality like it's still a risky proposition I think to a certain extent to say hey we're going to try to get all these four star top 100 top 50 type guys even if we may miss on all of them and that's mm. what happened that's and, what happened and yeah. they went out then they had to get a couple guys that are more like 200 unranked unknown three star type of guys and and Mick's always just kind of been like I don't care if they're known or not. Find a guy we like that we can get, and let's go lock him up. Yeah. And he's done an unbelievable job of finding someone who can really, really play. Oh, yeah. But could you imagine if you stack in a top 50 guy yeah. with, like, a Gary Clark and a couple of the, Yeah, and, you know, and Cumberland was a – I think he was right around top 50 from what I saw. Yeah. I, I, I think I he might have even I been. I remember where, yeah, he, I think where he, he finished. I think he was, but, yeah, you're right. And so that's why I think they have a chance to be special this year because, you, you know, you've got – such a, a conglomerate of like really you could say that that Evans, Clark, Washington, and Cumberland are all four star quality. Yeah. I don't know if they were all ranked there when they first came into, you know, out of high school, but and and you know, Broom averaged twenty three points a game and is, you know, I think it was at Sacred Heart, but like he's talented. Though. He's yeah, he's gonna have to be the I think he's gonna have to be the key. Everybody knows that. Um, the point guard play is going to be the, the the factor, I think, for how good UC can be and and how soon they they can win some games this year. Because you're going to Xavier, you're going to go play Florida, who is loaded uh, in a, on a neutral floor, and then you're going to go play a UCLA team, which I think is pretty vulnerable right now. And UC will have their revenge factor there. So the the Xavier and Florida game are going to be really tough if you're not getting quality play at the point guard spot. But but yeah, I mean, I think that that that. Mick has the the program. I mean, like you said, it, it's been a slow ascend, and now it's like okay, we're getting some kids. Like they get a four star point guard 
signed for next year out of California. Like, how do they get that kid? Mm. You know, he comes and he comes well, and visits and he watches them how hard they're practicing. He's like, that's what I want. It just somehow is in the right fit. And that was a Darren Savino recruit. Yeah. Right? And that's really interesting because he's a guy that you bring in while you're in the Big East as an assistant coach and you think, He's got that New York, that Big East territory locked down. Yeah. Then you get out of the Big East into the American. All of a sudden, he can't land any of the guys because no, yeah, you, none of those guys want to play in the American. What the hell is the American, man? Yeah. You're never coming near me, my my home, right. and my family will never see me play if I go there. Yeah. So all of a sudden, he's really rendered. I mean, he's a good assistant coach that Mick seems to really like having on his staff. Yeah. But as a recruiter, oh, he he's, was really handicapped. But now he's changed up his his sort of. Uh, I guess his plan of attack on the on the road, and he goes out and gets a kid from California. Which yeah. uh, I mean, I know fans I, and, and I, the I was surprised, really high on. definitely surprised. Logan Johnson is his name, um, but the, 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 this year's recruiting class, you know, that I think Keith Williams was maybe close to the top 100. The other three, uh, nowhere near. Uh, they have a, a 6'10 kid named Mamadou Diara who was um, going to go to Washington, and mm-hmm. then Romar got fired, and he was maybe. Top two hundred. I mean, he's got a lot of, lot of raw potential. Yeah. But um, the other two kids were nowhere near the radar. Right. This guy Trevor Moore, six five shooting guard out of Houston, and then uh, Eliel Sasemi, who's from the Congo, and he's only been playing basketball in shoes for like three or four years. And but like, dude, you don't want to mess with him. He'll get every rebound. And he, he these guys look like they're kind of polished for how young they are. But no one. No one ranked UC's recruiting class anywhere near any top 25s or even top 50s. But like to your point is, you know, these are guys that Mick says, can these guys help me win games or not? And a guy like Keith Williams, who was the MVP of the Catholic League in New York City last year, you're like, okay, he's 6'5", he's athletic as hell, he's skilled, he can handle the ball. Like how the hell, why, why was no one else in on him? And then you talk to Chad and you say, well, he was on a team with two other really highly ranked kids. So all the big time coaches just have a list of like, I got to watch these kids. And they don't look at the other kids. And that's where Cincinnati comes in and snags those ones. So, well, and same with Trevor Moore. Like he yeah. played on a really oh, high level yeah. team. Save you on flag. Yeah. yeah. And everyone watched him play. Yeah. But and they didn't watch him. And that's why I'm really interested to see how he does. Because yeah. he's another one like that. That if he ends up being as good as like, you see people think he is after the short time he's been on campus that that's another great diamond in the rough that they've been able to find. And it's like, what's going on with some of these other college coaches that they go to watch these teams that, that have high level guys. Yeah. And then they just pigeonhole that guy as, Oh, he's mid major. Right. You know, without really watching how the guy develops. Yeah. I'm, I think it, I think it goes both ways. I think that, you know, maybe who knows? I mean, you see may have graded somebody out as a mid major that ended up being, I mean, it just, it happens, but I think that, They've been able to make hay with finding diamonds in the rough, and that's that's what they have to do. So, but as as the program has built with those diamonds in the rough, now you're starting to get some kids who are known, like the Logan Johnson one was. You know, I, I talked to a coach in, in California that said, like, yeah, he's one of the one or two best point guards in the state, and like he's coming to Cincinnati. You know, so they're on a level now where they can get, you know, into some in on some better kids and, and some more known kids. But yeah, I mean, they, he's built it in a way that, you know, they have depth. Um, they've got size, athleticism. They have a lot of guys who understand how to play um, versatile two way players. It's just going to come down to like, are they tough enough, especially going into the Cintas center? Because that, that's not for the faint of heart. And we've seen plenty of teams go in there and wilt under that, in, in that environment. Um, 
Now, we know that there are certain players on UC who won't be intimidated, like Gary Clark and Jaron Cumberland and, and probably you know, Jacob Evans as well. Um, but the rest of the team's an unknown. You know, Kyle Washington, he, he, you never know with him. Sometimes if he gets it going, maybe he's engaged and he plays a good game and he's, you know, he, he plays smart. But there's other games where he just he, he gets a little too hyped up. The shot isn't falling. He gets some cheap fouls. All of a sudden, he's not a factor. And you're like, dude, we need – he's a guy who's a double-figure scorer who doesn't give you anything. Um, and obviously, as I mentioned, the point guard position is really going to determine if UC can hang in that game and have a chance to win, I think, because, um, you know, I, I love I, I love those kids. I think that they, they both have different things that they can bring to the table. But, um, you know, Kane's a better offensive player right now. Justin's a better game manager. Justin Jennifer, better game manager and, and – and uh defender um like mick can tr- like yesterday in the buffalo game buffalo's making a run uc's turning the ball over left and right kane broom isn't even on the floor the last 10 minutes of the game and jennifer finishes with five assists and no turnover so he's at least he's trustworthy but he, he only gives you two points and he misses two or three open shots yeah so it's like you know where where are they at that position because in that game you know, the way that Xavier can execute on offense, you've got to execute and you've got to get production from that position or else I don't know if you can score enough to match what Xavier's going to be able to do in their home gym. Yeah, I've said this all along. I know uh, Justin Jennifer has improved. The bottom line for this UC team is Kane Broom has to be good enough. Like he has to be the guy on the court in the last 10 minutes or this team has a limited upside to it. Like they do not reach their peak potential if Justin Jennifer is their go-to point guard and not Kane Broom. That to me Kane is so much more talented and I, like I know what Justin Jennifer is as a player bottom line how good he will be. He just will never get one he's so short. And I think especially after watching a guy like D Davis, I just think you're always going to run into a team with maybe not Lonzo Ball who's 6'6 and and you know really unique talent. But you're going to run into a team that can, you know, like Xavier, the year they had two Holloway, who seemed great, but at six foot, Jimmy Butler for Marquette yeah. is able to guard him at six six and lock him down, cut the head off the snake, and all of a sudden you just can't do offensively what you've been able to do all year against teams that didn't have that. Yeah. So to me, Kane Broom has to be the guy. And so that would be a, a the biggest concern as UC fan, yeah. is that Justin Jennifer ends up being the go to point guard. To me, I'd much rather see them decide Jacob Evans is going to be our point guard. Right. I, that's uh, um, yeah. I was just going to counter and say that uh, I think that that UC has the option of Evans and even Cumberland to create up top, as as we've seen that he he's he's a really underrated creator um, off the dribble. He can set up his teammates for good looks, and and I think Evans can do a lot of different things too. So if you if you, and and Mick talked about this before the season was that that who's going to take over for Troy Copain late in a game and, and when they have to get something done and have to get the ball to somebody they need to get, they need to get it to. And he said, Jacob Evans is probably going to get a lot of that responsibility. And you know, a, a thing, a, and, and the thing about Kane Broom um, is that he really graded out strong off the ball when he was at Sacred Heart. A lot of his, uh, on Synergy, they had a lot of things with him where it was like catching shoots or cutting to the basket. Like He really has a, a, a good understanding of the game, and he can get open and stuff. So he may not be as much of a true point guard as um, people would think he's going to be. Now, he can pass the ball well, um, but he may be better suited as a scorer. So in that position at the end of the game, if you have him off the ball, he's still dangerous, whereas maybe Jacob Evans sets up the play 
and decides what's going to happen, you know, dictates what's going to happen. So that they do have that option if, you know, Jennifer's not the guy in that spot and if Kane's not quite at that point. So that, that I would probably think that down the stretch, if that game's close, that that's what you would see. And to me, I think I, Chad and I have talked about this on the skinny podcast. So I don't want to repeat myself, but I think that may be their best option because I think it might solve another problem they've had in, in at different times, which is that Jacob's too passive and yeah. doesn't get the ball in his hands enough at, and in big moments sometimes. And it's like that dude is just such a good decision maker and so unselfish that it's like you don't need him to necessarily be aggressive scoring, but you want the ball in his hands because he'll make a good decision for someone, whether yeah. that's him or a teammate, and he's certainly capable himself. Right. So I like the idea of saying you have to have the ball in your hands, make a play for us. Yeah. And then Kane is certainly has a scorer's mentality. Like yeah. He's not shy at all about shooting, so he, he'll still be dangerous if he, yeah. even if he's not playing with the ball in his right. hands. Right, so I think that would if – I'm, if I'm Mick Cronin, that's what I do down the stretch, and I think he probably will. Um, and and just say that uh, you know they'll they'll share the duties there, and if it's a certain play or important thing, just yeah, give the responsibility to Jacob. But on the Xavier side, just uh, real quick, you know, as far as um, some development from from Tyreek Jones and and from Gooden, I mean, are those guys at a, at another level from last year? Are they just a little improved? Are they the same? Do you trust them in a in a crosstown shootout? environment yeah so the thing i would say is first of all tyreek jones he's the most improved player on the team without question he's come a long way and really at the end of last season he was playing pretty well but even from that he's just polished a lot of things in his game because he was really a raw guy that was built mostly on just kind of being a bull in a china shop roughhousing down in the paint and being really athletic and explosive and now he's a guy that the way mike pegues works with post players is he breaks down the footwork and he slows them down first. And for Tyreek, that was counterintuitive. It kind of it had him thinking when the best part of his game is always just going to be raw power, strength, and explosive and and quick reaction type stuff. Tip okay. dunk that. But he had him, you know, no, you you got to catch the ball in the po- post like this, and your footwork has to be like this, and you got to rock the guy, and and you got to see your teammates, and you got to see the double team coming, and and teaching him all the little stuff that was slowing him down, making him think. It hindered him for a lot of last year. He started to get it and maybe not even get exactly what Mike wanted him to get, but he could play without thinking about it all the time at the end of the year to where he was playing well. And then all of a sudden in the offseason, he put in a ton of work and he knows what he's doing now. Like the all that teaching paid off. The footwork is there. He has moves in the post, which he never had before. Um, you know, he can hit you with an up and under and a drop step and a baby hook. And mm. he'll hit a runner, a running hook shot in the lane we saw, which is just something like he never even had the touch to do something like that. So he's he's really improved his touch Does as well. Does he face up at all? I mean, that's not, he'll he'll face you up if he catches it like six to eight feet and it'll take like a one oh, or so two he, dribble move to the rim, but he does not face up and shoot. Okay. He, okay. He's worked on that part of his game, but we have not, so not seen him use okay. it at all in terms okay. of the mid-range jumper. Now he has, theoretically, we'll see what the stats say a little bit farther down the road, but his free throw shooting looks much improved. Okay. He was one of the worst free throw shooters I've ever seen in my life last year. And I mean, he had a lot of the shots just had no chance. He was breaking yeah. them off the backboard. Yeah, I saw some. Yeah. yeah, and this year, I mean, it at least looks good coming off his hand and his soft hitting the rim. So, so all right, so so and, I, yeah, well, so, so good, good and so good and Scruggs, right? So what we were talking. So give me both of those because we talked about Jennifer and Broom. So what's what's Gooden and Scruggs? How do they counter what what UC has? I mean, who has the advantage of that position? 
It's an interesting question. Um, Quentin Gooden is, I wouldn't say he's like taking a huge jump from last year where he was at the end of the year, but he's a lot more confident than he was. And just playing 40 minutes a game all the way to an Elite Eight run will give you a certain you know measure of confidence that you maybe didn't have going in. Right. And he certainly has that. He's a, he's a really confident player. I mean, he's a guy who expects to play in the NBA one day. And he has not been aggressive at all looking to score. I mean, he just has not given them much scoring punch last night. Um, you know, we're recording this the day after uh, Xavier Hampton. played Hampton, and he had 10 points, which was his season high so far. But it was kind of, you know, he just got a few layups in the second half and and still wasn't, like, super aggressive when they, they were really in the flow of the game. His thing is just that, I mean, he, he like, at Wisconsin, he goes six assists, one turnover. So when you have Trayvon Blewett and J.P. McCure on your team, your job is to get those guys going, get the ball to them, and quite honestly, a lot of times it's never going to come back to you. And so he could be more aggressive in spots, but I think the coaching staff has made it clear to him that, hey, we need to get the ball to these guys, and it's on you to do that. Last year, Edmund Sumner was trying to get his a lot you know, earlier in the year and trying to get his and set those guys up, and it never worked. The chemistry was never there. Okay. And this year, the chemistry looks great. Even And it's like maybe you want more out of Quentin, and you'd like to see him score a little more, and he's capable of it. But to me, it's so much more worth having the chemistry and making sure your two best players are getting off as opposed to worrying about, hey, did he get three extra layups or get to the free throw line a couple extra times like you'd like to see? Okay. So then, so that sounds a little, it sounds like a little bit like Jennifer's role because Jennifer's been the high assist, low turnover guy. And, and, you know, he, he's, his shots improved a little bit too, but I don't think he's, he's not counted upon to be much of a scorer. But I think you see just, the difference being that Xavier really seems to have a focus of like, we want to get these guys involved the most. Whereas UC shares the ball and everyone, if you're open shoots it, they, they really rely on passing and, and everyone take a shot when you're open. Whereas Xavier seems like they're like, these are our dogs and we're just going to ride them. Yeah. So to, to a certain extent, yeah. now they've run so they've run so much good offensive stuff. So like they run a lot of sets to get Tyreek involved and, yeah. and Kaiser Gates gets a lot of open looks because they're good passers and JP and Trayvon will share the ball as well. Okay. Quentin isn't a jump shooter, so he's not the guy getting the kickouts and shooting a three because yeah. that's not his game. And the other thing about Quentin is he's six four with like a forty two inch vertical leap. So he gives you something that Jennifer doesn't give you from yeah. a point like if you're not respecting him, he's going to attack you and dunk on you, right. and he can really defend and get after you in that regard. Okay. He brings a lot to the table, yeah. but it's just he is he like. There's been games he's just taken one or two shots, okay. and it's like, could he do more? Sure, right. Um, but it just isn't his role at this time, and the team's rolling so well. I don't think they want to mess with that. Right. Okay. And then what about Scruggs? Scruggs is he plays really, really hard, and he gives him a lift defensively. It's rare when you huh. bring in a freshman that improves your defense. Wow. But he really does. Um, he's 6'3 with a 6'10 wingspan, which is just, for yeah. a guard, that's yeah. insane on the defensive end. And he came in at 225 pounds. They had to actually trim him down to about 210 to get him into like point guard shape. You know, But physically, he's just kind of a bully okay. um, for a point guard. And he's quick laterally, so he really defends well. And then offensively, he can run the team. He plays with good pace and everything. He'll go to the rim and, and use that length to score. Um, he hit a three last night against Hampton, but he's not much of a shooter. And in a game like the UC game, I mean, his role is going to be eight to 12 minutes in there to defend and take care of the basketball. And he hasn't made many mistakes turning the ball over anything as the point guard. So okay. he's not going to be expected to play a huge role. You're probably going to get good in for 30 to 35 minutes, Okay, but he's solid when he's in there. All right. Well, yeah, it really is. 
put the team side by side, it, 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 it's very close. Uh, yeah. It's going to come. Well, it's going to come. Do you want to run through the matchups real quick, just sure. position by position? Because I know. I mean, I always do a breakdown anyway. Yeah, for sure. So at the point guard position, we just kind of talked about it. You're going to have Quentin versus uh, Kane slash Jennifer, and they'll basically. You think they'll split time? Almost That's what they've been doing. Yeah. yeah, I think so. That because, like I said, because one guy's giving you trustworthiness and the other guy's giving you the potential to, to light it up and get you 15 20 points so i think he just tries to go with a combination of the two mick does and then depending on which one has a better feel for the game or which one's being more effective i think he'd rather play kane to get the points but like i said he's also you know how he is with turnovers and if the guy is turning the ball over and not making good decisions he's just going to yank him and play the guy who will take care of the ball right. so it's it's really just a mix it's hard to know who's going to play more at this point they're, they're kind of even so we've kind of discussed what both of those sides bring to the table at the point guard position. At the two, Xavier has JP, obviously. Um, will Jaron guard him, do you think? Yeah. That, that would be my guess, too, because you're going to put Jacob on Trey. Yeah, but it's really – the thing about the guarding is is that you see switches everything. So, so there's really not really – yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you would say that he would, he would start on him when the possession began, I would say. But, um, yeah, because I don't know that you would want him – I'm um, trying to cover Blewett, you know, with with all his ability too, and at least, although JP's a better driver than people give him credit for. Yeah, I mean that's the, he had strength. ten field goals against Wisconsin that were all in mm-hmm. twos, right? He was zero for three from three. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean that's his strength, and he's always because he's white, everyone labels him a shooter, but he's always been a better creator and driver than he is shooter. The only thing is, earlier in his career, he settled for more like crazy threes and long jumpers because he that conf, that part of his confidence came out more. Yeah, and now he's like jacked up and gotten to really he's more bulky and strong now and i think his confidence has gone the other way to where he likes driving in and taking guys on with contact hmm, and okay. drawing fouls so yeah that's that that's who would you give the edge to if it's cumberland versus jp makura that's my favorite matchup in this game because <laughs> both of them are going to be talking a lot they're both going to be in each other's heads and and, and like they're going to be fired up so they could easily be hmm. the best biggest candidates to get teed up in this oh, um, yeah. because they're going to be going at it but they're both kind of street guys, right? Like, it's hard for me to imagine JP having a terrible night in this game, but at the same time, like, there's there's no reason Jaron couldn't get hot, similar to what he did last year, and, and get the best of JP. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I, I really don't know. I think it's a tough matchup for JP defensively because Jaron will attack him straight downhill. He's bigger, he's stronger, um, and Jaron... Jaron can really attack you downhill, as we saw last year. And he's year. got good range on his shot, too, so you have to respect that. Yeah, you got to be up yeah. on him. Um, so he, you, you, I think for Xavier, you worry about JP maybe getting in foul trouble guarding Jaron because of his size and strength, and and JP's going to want to be physical. In that now game. is that a is that a spot where Najee would come in and 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 they would put him on a, a wing player like Jaron you, if he's you'd probably it, it like so if um I don't if, know much about Najee if it were Najee's really good and really talented and he can defend he's long and can defend um but he has a turnover issue right now as offense and in those big games like at Wisconsin he just wasn't ready for it at all and tries to go to the rim kind of every time he touches the ball and that just doesn't work against high level defenders um so what would happen is if like JP got in early foul trouble and they had to bring him out you know before the first media timeout or something I think you'd see Paul Scruggs going at the one and Quentin would slide over to the two um and that's probably how they'd roll with it. Okay. okay. Najee's, Najee's been playing just the three for the most part. Okay. Not that it necessarily matters with those yeah. positions like we're talking about because he could guard either spot and you could just say Trey's your two, I guess, theoretically. Um, but my guess is they'd go Paul at the one, 
Quentin at the two, and that'd okay. be the best lineup defensively. Okay, so yeah, I, that's going to be a big key. I think it's, this is incredible because you got the point guard situation where you know, UC could really lose the game if those guys play like they did last night. Um, but, but at the same time, but, it's but, really but, more of a worry, like, do they turn the ball over? Because yeah. other than that, it's not like Xavier's going to get a huge advantage by their point guards outscoring UCs or something That's true. Like that, that's you know? true, too. Okay, so... But the, the shooting guard or, or the what, the JP versus Jaron matchup is going to be one that could decide the entire the entire game. Um, as you know, then you have the, the interesting one though is 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 Evans versus Blewett because I think Blewett is much more aggressive, and as we saw last year, he can go off. Um, and you see sometimes has trouble containing three point shooters. Last night. Uh, this guy C.J. Massenberg for Buffalo went off for 29. Who's he's about six three, six four. He scored inside and out, and the Bearcats had no answer for him. Where, you know, I think Blewett's even better than that kid, and so um, that that's. But but I think Evans is the best perimeter option you have to stop a guy like Trayvon. Now again, defensively, it's just a whole switching game. So I'm sure that Mac will draw a lot of things up to say, let's get Evans off of him or get that's- the matchup that you want. That's the only area I get concerned with UC switching everything is that you are switching everything on Trayvon Blewett. Yeah. And you don't have four guys that can guard Trayvon Blewett. No. You have maybe one, maybe two, you but have, definitely not four. I think you have Evans and Clark because Clark can guard anybody in the world. Yeah, but I don't think it's ideal for him either. On well, Trayvon, you know, it's like, not ideal, but I still think he gives you the best chance of anyone on the after, roster after Evans. Yeah, yeah, and and but I, th- I mean Cumberland, like I said, he, I still think he's he can do something. He can, Trey he can will hang. put him in foul trouble. I think. Well, maybe, maybe. Uh, just just because he laterally still like yeah. he's better than we expected, but yeah. laterally still not quick. And Trey has so many nuances and pump fakes and stuff. And if like if you're a step late and you get moved in the wrong direction, Trey will just draw contact, go to the free throw line. He okay. loves doing that. So to me, I think Mick will be really hesitant. To, I mean, again, when you're switching, there's not much you can do, but I think they'll want to keep Cumberland off of Trey as much as possible for the foul. You know, the interesting thing is that, so, you know, UC hasn't played a lick of zone this year yet. They haven't had to. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've been playing, you know, pretty inferior competition. And I don't know, they, they went away from it a lot last year. They played a lot of the switching five instead of the, instead of the, um, the two, three matchup or whatever the matchup would be. Mm. So I don't know if they would pull that out for that game because I think they're always worried about, you know, Xavier's, um, passing and shooting and obviously offensive rebounding they you know with a guy like Jones so I don't know about that it almost sounds like you know the best thing would be just to play a a pack line and just try to keep the Xavier out of the paint and say beat us from the outside but that's just not how you see defense so yeah with the switching you 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 do worry because I see that I, I watched a little the other night where Xavier has that up top deal where they get the ball to the guard on the side and then he can either just straight line or you know do a kick, pick and pop there's they go a lot of that horn set and they're and, going to run that a lot against yeah that switching man to man and the problem is is a guy like kyle washington who if he gets switched on anybody which that's what happened a lot in last night's game he can't defend the perimeter um so i, I that's going to be interesting to see how the, the bearcats defend in that one but um but i think that i i, I guess you give the edge to I don't know. I mean, Evans hasn't been playing at a level where, and he also just had a little hip injury. I don't know how major it is. It seems like he can still play. Um, so I don't know. Would you give a slight edge to Blewett in that? I think you have to. Okay. I mean, I like Jacob Evans a lot as a player. I think he's really good. 
I just don't think he has quite the same killer instinct that Trayvon does as a senior, yeah. as a guy who's been in the draft twice and pulled his name out and right. really expects big things for himself this year. He's playing at a different level this year than I've ever seen him play at, and he put 40 on UC last yeah. year. So I yeah. imagine his confidence is going to be pretty high. I'd, I think I'd have to go edge to Xavier in that matchup. But then the four is so interesting to me because Gary Clark is always good. He's always solid. He always does all the small stuff. He always rebounds. He always defends well. Like, there's no question he's going to be good. The question is, do you get the Gary Clark who gives you a significant lift on the offensive end? And does Xavier get the Kaiser Gates who knocks down three or four outside jumpers? Or do they get the Kaiser Gates who can be kind of really a total non-factor on the offensive end? Like, Gary does way more than Kaiser Gates does. They certainly have the edge at that position. There's no doubt. Right. But the question is, if Gary is kind of passive on the offensive end, like you occasionally see, and he doesn't give them much of a lift, and Kaiser hits three or four threes like he's done a few times this year already, Xavier could really even some things. You know, that could really give Xavier a major lift if Kaiser gives him a big scoring pop and Gary doesn't do the same for UC, which is possible, even if I think UC has the edge at that position. Yeah, I I would... I agree with that. I, I would say it's improbable just because uh, Gary is at a level now leadership wise where he, and, and it, it started, they talk about him being passive. I think that's been the knock on him being too nice for his career. But last year in, at the end of the season, and I think it was it the, was it the final game? I think it was the, the final game at UConn where he got his, his tooth chipped mm-hmm. and, and, and then in, no, it was in the, it was in the conference tournament. And the, the crowd was getting on him. The game was at UConn, and he just started taking over that game. And he was like, give me the ball. They couldn't stop him. He was getting to the foul line. He was making every free throw, staring down the, the guy, people in the crowd. Like, like something ignited in him where he was like, I'm taking this over. And we hadn't seen that yet. And I feel like it's carried over. Last night, you see down the stretch just got the ball to him every time. And he was 11 for 13 from the foul line, and he just did what he needed to do block shots, re- huge rebounds. Like I don't I don't think that his his level of leadership now as a senior is at is to the point where I don't think that he would be passive in this this type mm-hmm. of game. And because and I think the other part about him is that if you do pay extra attention to him, he's so good at finding the open man. Um so of course foul trouble you never know. That that would probably be the only way that I would see Xavier get the edge in that yeah, in but, that position. But you can't factor that in. Yeah, really. I know. I know. So Especially with a you guy can factor like that in. And yeah, yeah, he's so good defensively too that I, I don't oh, worry God. about it. Yeah, he he's the guy that oh man, I, it's gonna be so hard on senior day. Like I'm definitely gonna be, I'm gonna be so emotional for that because I, I from the first day we had him, I'm like, thank God we got this guy. I mean, there's been so many games you see as one over the last three plus years. That at the end of the game, I'm just like, UC had Gary Clark, the other team didn't. That's why UC won that game. And I think, you know, I think they still win that game last night, but like he was the main reason why they were able to close it. But um, yeah, so now what about like Tyreek? Does Jones, does he start at the five? Yeah. Okay, so so Omero's coming off the bench. Okay. And that's one where, I mean, when Kyle's fired up, he can really do some damage offensively. I mean, he can make a big difference, but. Tyreek is the type of guy who on the defensive end, when Kyle's guarding Tyreek, Tyreek's the type of guy that's a problem for Kyle because Tyreek is super physical. Um, he's super aggressive in your face, likes to seal you low, and Kyle doesn't like to work early on the defensive end. He likes to let guys catch it and then try to defend them. So 
he's one where it's like you could easily see Kyle getting two fouls because he got sealed way too deep and he's too fired up, so he jumps on a pump fake, and now he's sitting on the bench next to Mick real early. Um, but the good news is I think UC has depth in the push this year yeah. where they haven't in the past. Yeah, and, and I think, well, just to, he may get one of those fouls, but more than likely he'll get an over-the-back foul. That <laughs> when the guy already has a rebound, he has no chance for it. That, he loves getting those, especially when he's fired up and try, he's not getting his points, and he's like, i got to do something. Let me just see if I can get that rebound. And like, dude, he already has it. And foul, second foul, you're out with 18-12 to go in the first half. But, <laughs> right. but I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if he's got it going, then it's not much you can really do because he makes shots that even if you defend him perfectly, you're like, no, how the hell did he do that? And he, they go in. He shoots from the weirdest angles. Yeah. He always had because like Xavier recruited him heavy. Um, you know, the first time around before, oh, okay. he, before he went to NC State, and uh, they were they almost had him. And so watching him as as a young guy, even it was like he shoots from the weirdest angles where it's like you wouldn't even think to guard that way. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he'll he'll shoot from like the side of you, and it's just like what do you do to stop that? Yeah. That's going in. If he's gonna turn that little like turnaround flip shot, that's not even really a hook. It's just kind of like yeah. a quick throw. Right. You can't guard. Yeah, it's like he has a, he has a right hand jump hook, but he shoots a left handed shot over his right ear or something. I don't he know what he does. Flicks it like yeah, it's quick turnaround. It's yeah, it's really but he he can hit he can hit from the outside too. And and um, but yeah, I think that that like you said, the depth there is key because uh, you got a guy like Brooks who can come in who's huge and, and he knows how to defend. Brooks and, might be a better matchup defensively for Tyreek because Brooks seems to like a little physicality. Yeah, he walls up well with his length right. and he rebounds really well. Like to me, that's the type of guy that does well against Tyreek more so than yeah. a guy who doesn't want to do his work early on the defensive end. Yeah, but it it, it so I, that's a tough one too because I mean like there's, there's such a swing possibility for what Washington would bring, and I think you know what you're getting with Tyreek Jones at this point from what it sounds well, like from you. Here's the other thing though: on the flip side, you've got the same issue because Tyreek's going to be super fired up, yeah. and his one thing where it's like he's really improved of not getting in foul trouble as much this year but in that game fired up the way he'll be Kyle being the offensive player that he is he could very easily if they make a point to go at Tyreek and try to get him out of the game because they feel like hey if Sean O'Mara's on the floor we got a much better shot then you never know that you know Tyreek could be on the bench with two fouls that's not out of the realm of possibility either because he's a very rambunctious player and not always the most disciplined so yeah the foul trouble is going to be key at that center spot I think yeah, because both sure. of those guys can make a big impact offensively yeah. um but if they're not on the court they can't right okay and, so so out of the five it's hard to make a really big distinction on any of them except for the power forward but I think that you if you're given blue at the edge at the three you see, um, I think it's clear that Xavier has the edge at the three and UC has the edge at the four. The rest of them are toss-ups. And it's going to come down to who who shot. I mean, just like the shootout always is, obviously, it's probably not going to be the stars that make the difference. It's probably going to be... who Who's the lowest three-point percentage uh, shooter for Xavier Wings right now? Or guards? Well, it... The guy you would want shooting is Quentin Gooden. Okay, so he'll make like three threes. Because <laughs> I, well, I, I seem to remember two years ago when Remy Abel was shooting twenty percent, no, and he makes three in the first. See, like, dude, but that was course. that was a thing where you can't let Mick spin those narratives to you. Uh, it's not Mick. I'm a fan. I've been watching these games know, forever. Dante know, Jackson. But Mick said that 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 he was shooting nineteen percent in conference play. It was or because it was like three games in the conference season. Remy Abel was a career like thirty seven percent three point shooter. Every that was all he did was I'm just saying I'm just saying I looked at the percentage of overall going into the game. I looked last year at Quentin Good or two years ago. No, no, it was last year. Remember I was sitting right next to you and as soon as Quentin Gooden shot that three, I go, This is in. 
and it went in and I was like, see, he had the lowest percentage. The, this, it's, it's just, that yeah. is true. But like the, the, the Mick out thought himself for a couple years in a row in the crosstown shootout where he'd go into the zone. He'd walk away from guys that he didn't think were shooting well for Xavier. And he let guys get hot. Like Remy Abel was a guy who could shoot. James Farr was a guy who could shoot just because their percentages that year didn't say they were shooting well at the time did not make it a good strategy to say, we dare you to shoot wide open threes. Right. That to me, that was overthinking it when he had a great defensive team that could have just guarded Xavier straight up and been fine because they were more athletic and, great defensively so yeah I, I, yeah that that whole the remy abel only shot 19 percent from three and torched us unfairly just that's a narrative that does not fly for me i'm sorry <laughs> i'm just saying because it's happened so many times before it feels like that a guy that like what was d davis shooting but, like, it, but i know they walked away from, they let him shoot him but still yeah but he I mean, wasn't shooting well but but i mean he again, made six or five or six threes yeah like, but he's another guy that's like a career 34 35 percent i know three point shooter know. that you gave wide open looks to in the shootout yeah. why would you do that i don't know why they give wide he open looks to anybody exactly it's a senior in the shootout Mick <laughs> knows that he knows how it works you don't let him shoot wide open. no i'm, I'm yeah, just kidding but i that, know but the this year's shootout is going to be as good as we've ever seen, I think. Yeah. And I think you see, run us through the bench real quick, what the guys on the bench have been doing. Because we mentioned some names, but like, okay. how much how much of a factor are those guys actually? Because Xavier, <clears throat> as much as like Paul Scruggs and, and Najee Marshall are really talented and can make a difference, um, Sean O'Mara obviously plays, you know, sort of splits time with Tyreek at the, the five, and then they give Cantor a few minutes here and there at the five. Um, but like on the wings... I don't feel like Paul Scruggs and Najee Marshall are like replacement level guys right now where they go into the game and you feel like, oh, we're at the same level. Yeah. I think for the most part, there's a clear difference. So you're going to see mostly Xavier starters for about 30 minutes and those guys will give them a breather. Okay. Well, then I guess that would give UC an edge because when you look at the point guard position, I feel like you're getting, you're, you're still getting something that's brought, brought to the table if, when Jennifer comes in because he gives you good ball management. Um, it's just a turnover ratio. Um, and, uh, and he can, he can hit some threes. Like he's, he shot 38% last year from three. Like he's really improved his shot. So not much of a drop off there. Um, the two freshmen are interesting. They're both six, five Keith Williams and Trevor Moore. Keith Williams looks ready to, to belong in a game like that. Like he can, he can create his own. He can finish with either hand. He's high level athlete. Um, the one thing with him is he's been forcing some outside shots, not forcing some outside shots is the wrong word, but he's taking some outside shots where you're like, I don't know if we need that right now. Like, yeah, you're open, but there's 19 left on the shot clock. Like, let's see if we can maybe get the ball to Gary Clark or something first and then maybe take the shot. Right. So he's, his shot selection's a little iffy. Um, the other kid, Trevor Moore, uh, for as, as much of a low vertical, I mean, almost non-existent vertical leap he has, his lateral quickness is pretty good. He can he can guard the ball, and he's a dead-eye shooter from deep. The, the, the thing about him is he's so advanced with his fake and then dribbled to, to a, into a different shot. His footwork, his his shot preparation is like, for a kid that young, um, I mean, he and he's 6'5". So I think they're I think that when you, if you take out an Evans or a Cumberland and you put in one of those freshmen, I don't know if it's as much of a drop off because I feel like they can both hold their own defensively um, and they both give you different ways to score. And they're both really confident kids. One's from Brooklyn, one's from Houston. They're both like think that they should be the star of the team, which um, 
and they, they go at each other and practice a lot. But so I feel like you're not getting a ton of drop off from the three wings to the backups. And then when you look at the other two, the, the two big spots where you have a Trey Scott and you have a Nasir Brooks, offensively, you're not going to get a lot from those two guys. Um, it's just not going to happen. But I feel like defensively, you'll get plenty. And, um, and, and I feel like they, uh, Trey Scott's underrated as far as his ability to like create and pass and c- kind of do the right things on the court. Um, good feel for him. And he's a really versatile defender. So, for instance, like he could guard. He you could even put him on a on a guy like a Trayvon Blewett on the on the wing, and he actually would. And he he's six seven six eight and could probably hold his own. Like he's good in that switching five, guard the perimeter, man to man. And then Brooks, like you said, he he can wall up. Um, and he's a shot blocker. He's tough, hard nosed. He's not as strong as we'd want him to be yet, but. I think he's he's he could be effective defensively down there at protecting the rim. So, I mean, that's five guys right there that you're you feel pretty comfortable putting into the game. And I guess let's see, you have so three of them. Although three of them haven't played in the sh- shootout really, if you can count Jennifer and um, and Brooks a little bit last year. He had a, he had a few minutes. Um, so. And Scott hasn't really been much of a factor. So really all five of them have not much experience in the thing. But I think overall it's it's not that much of a drop-off because either all those guys are either going to give you some scoring or some defense or a little bit of both. With it being so – like that's – the way I look at it for Xavier, like I think Najee Marshall and Paul Scruggs are both really good and are going to be really good players. But it's just so early at this year that in a game that high level, I don't see them playing more than just – breather minutes where they're subbing in for maybe 10, yeah. you know, 8 to 12 minutes, something like um, in the post, it'll be like Tyreek for as close to 20 or more minutes as he can get. Sean O'Mara will go in for 15 and then Cantor will maybe get 5. Yeah. Um, what? How do you sort of see the breakdown? Like how many minutes are the starters playing oh. in your mind for UC? Well, it depends on how much of a pace there is in the game and if UC is able to get some pressure and, and run a little bit because I think in that case, Mick will sub quite a bit and try to keep everybody fresh. And he'll throw he'll throw a Trey Scott and Nasir combo at you for you know five minutes both halves, um, and he'll get those other those other wings in there too. But I I don't know. I think in I think in that game they're it's gonna the rotation will be tightened up. I think you're gonna see Jake. You're gonna see guys a lot of yeah. So I mean far. you're you're gonna see Jacob. For 40, if he can play 40, you're going to see Cumberland for 35. Okay. You're going to see Clark for 30. You're going to see Washington for as many as you know. He, you can have him on the floor. Okay. Um, the point guard, I think, is, is evenly distributed. So, yeah, so those those guys, besides the point guard, like the other four, maybe eight to ten um, is the most that any one of them would play, I would think. Uh, okay, so unless, unless, Brooks, unless, unless he really feels like Brooks gives them something defensively in and, and Washington, you, I could see a Brooks playing 15-plus depending on what happens there. But I think the rest of those guys will just give you spot stuff. And you'd be like, oh, wow, Keith Williams, nice move. I didn't know. Oh, Trevor Moore hit a three. That's key. Yeah. Um, but they ain't, they're not playing any any longer than a couple minutes here or there. Okay. Yeah, that, ma- that makes sense. That's what I was wondering because I was like, he's played those guys fairly legitimate minutes in – games where you know obviously UC was going to win and we all knew that yeah. I was wondering what it would be like in the shootout because that's going to be their first real like big time game oh yeah that we'll see so far with Xavier we kind of got the taste of it against Wisconsin and it was kind of what I said you know those guys who have been playing 
15 to 20 minutes or more in these blowouts, we're all of a sudden more down to like 13 minutes, 12 minutes, stuff like that. Yeah. So I think Paul Scruggs actually played about 17 minutes in that game, but it might even be tighter against UC. You okay. know? So it's going to be awesome. Dude. I can't wait. Yeah, I guess I'll have to go back to the Cintas Center for the second time. It, it it looks even better this year. They've they've done some more upgrades and I don't feel as bad now because I know UC's, UC's, UC's got their awesome thing working year. too. Yeah, see, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, when it was that and what UC had two years ago, like I said, that was that was hard to deal with. That was like, ooh. But uh, credit to Xavier for building it. I mean, that's all you can say. Take your hat off to him. Yeah, and the big thing is is keep doing the upkeep. You know, doing constant stuff every year. I had like. You know, two years ago, they added that D'Artagnan's deck, which was a craft beer bar up at the top of the arena, and it did really well. So this year, they brought back the Norwood Cafe in another spot at the top of the arena where it's like a whole full-fledged bar at the top. It's just, it was. I went up there last night for the second half of the Hampton game just to check it out, and it's awesome. So doing stuff like that and then upgrading the lighting system and painting the entire arena so there's no more gray slab concrete, stuff like that's important. And I think that's where you're seeing UC's, UC's figuring all that out after they made the big push for football and said, we've got to upgrade everything for football to get us into the Big 12 or whatever, and it didn't happen. Now I think you're starting to see things come back a little bit, and, and you, basketball will get a little more love going forward. But there is one difference that UC will never be able to make up, and that's the parking. I couldn't believe it. Xavier has a ton of parking lots, and it's free. Yeah. Whereas UC, it's like, good luck. You get either, you have to have a membership to a garage, or you're <laughs> parking you know way down the road, and I mean – you got to walk, and, and uh, there's a ton of traffic and all this stuff. And Xavier, I was like, I just pulled right in and parked and walked into the arena. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? But UC won't be able to do that the way the logistics are and yeah. set up in the in the campus. But yeah, Some things the, you can't ever come. Yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> As, once you get to the arena, though, it should be on par, hopefully, with what Xavier has. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you think the spread will be in the game? How about that? I think it'll be – you usually get like, what, four or five points for home point from Vegas for the most part. I think it'll be Xavier by two and a half for three. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds about right. I think, cause I would think they would, they'd say on a neutral UC is like a two point favorite, a one and a half, two point favorite. Mm-hmm. And so Xavier at home will be like maybe two, two and a half. Yeah. At the most. Yeah. Do you think Xavier or UC will be favored from Vegas? Yeah, I think Xavier. I mean, at home Xavier. for Xavier. I mean, I mean yeah, too. I think, I think it, you're right, but not by much, but, yeah, the, the it, spread's going to be tiny either yeah, way. I would it's going to it's going to be. I mean, the game's going to be decided more than likely by just little stuff that one guy gets hot or turnovers or you know somebody, one team batted from the foul line or whatever the case is. I still think that UC's key to win this game, as, as I think in any kind of big game, especially on the road, is getting to the foul line and um, and not shooting as many threes. I think they tried to shoot their way to, to a win a couple of years ago and didn't get to the foul line at all. No chance. So. And I, and Chad's told me to chill on that that storyline as much as I can, but I just feel like you're not winning unless you you get the ball inside of the bucket. You're getting layups and free throws. If you're just trying to shoot your way to it, it's not going to happen against Xavier because it's just that's just Xavier won't allow that. They they want you to shoot those outside shots. So it's easier said than done getting to the foul line against Xavier and getting the ball into the paint against Xavier. But that's what you got to do. You better be tough enough to do it if you want to win at the Cintas Center this year if you're the Bearcats. Yeah, or just grab every single offensive rebound that comes off the basket like last year. That worked out pretty well. Yeah, I'm sure Xavier's probably not going to let that happen. It <laughs> might be a focus in practice uh, the few days before. What is it? They play Baylor midweek, and then they have a few days to prepare for UC. It's going to be yeah. probably a lot of defensive rebounding drills, I would think. I would guess, I would guess Chris will bring that up once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, man. Anything else here to uh, break down or, or anything else you want to throw out there about the shootout? Just that, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't like it (laughs) (laughs) as a fan. It's, it's not fun for me at all. Um, last year I had my headphones and I had reggae music playing the entire game. And I just tried to convince myself to be confident. Um, otherwise that first half when blue, it went off, I would have lost my mind and probably lost my media credentials forever. (laughs) Um, Two years ago, I brought a white towel and was chewing on it like Jerry Tarkanian. Um, I don't know what I'll do this year. I, man, I, I almost hope something comes up and I can't go because it's just uh, – to go to the Centos Center and have UC lose, oh, man, it's just I, – I wouldn't be able to handle it. But That's funny. It's literally my second favorite day of the year every year. I love – But see, so you don't have – you told me that you're not like a – Die hards, like you're, yeah. You're, I, I, I admittedly, like, I yeah. love even if UC wins, I, I love the shootout, it's yeah, the, it's the best. I just it's the most fun sporting event for me every year. And I'm, I just uh, I'm, I'm getting a little you know, queasy or whatever, butterflies or whatever you call it right now, just thinking about it because I, I just I can't stand when UC loses to Xavier, but it, it's not going to determine the success of UC season, it's so early in the year. Yep. It, and even if they, even if UC loses, it, they're going to get a lot out of the game. I mean, especially, if, well, especially some of those kids who need to toughen up. Because it starts a huge run for them of really tough games, but yeah. it's the first of that run. Right. So they've got plenty of opportunities right after the Xavier game to make up for it. Oh, yeah. It, you know, um, so it, you're right. It's not going to be really a big deal in terms of that one game. But I know from the fan perspective, it's yeah. a little different for that one. So Of course. Tough to say that. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see that. I, I may or may not see you at the ball game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds good. I guess we'll wrap it up here.